Amen. We're going to watch. We're going to watch a real short video to introduce our uh, speaker tonight. Uh, he's Brother Mike Newberger from. Uh, actually, he's from Pennsylvania, uh, but he's planted a church in New York City. How many of y'all know they need Jesus up there? How many of y'all know there's a lot of people that need Jesus up there? Amen. And uh, he's doing a great work. Got some really cool things. It's it's awesome. It's awesome to see people saved, but it's awesome to see God do stuff so people can get saved. And, and, and so you're going to hear a lot of cool stuff about that. And uh, so let's do this. I want to pray. I want to pray. And then we're going to see the video. And then, Brother Mike, you just come on up right after the video, okay? Uh, are, are you wired up? You wired up? Okay. All right. Lord, thank you so much. God, bless, bless what uh, uh, we are here to do, and that's to learn more about our responsibility to get the gospel to those who don't have it. Lord, I pray that you'll bless Brother Mike. Uh, uh, Lord, fill him with your anointing to share the gospel with us and also the, the, the vision that you've given him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God sent Ezekiel to be the watchman over Israel. He was to warn the people of judgment to come. A pastor today does much of the same work that Ezekiel did in his day, being a watchman to the city that he lives and pastors in. But what if a city has no watchman, no preacher to warn the people? We are Mike and Kelly Newberger, Baptist missionaries to the capital of the world, New York City. During high school, we were both saved during revival meetings at the First Baptist Church of Deal, Maryland. We both graduated from Heartland Baptist Bible College in 2006 and were married that summer. During Bible College, I attended the Inner City Church Planning course at the Open Door Bible Baptist Church in Queens, New York. This church was started in 1992 by Pete Montoro, who was sent by the Cleveland Baptist Church in Cleveland, Ohio. This church has grown in the last 18 years to become an autonomous, self-supporting church that has paid back to missions nearly all the funds that were given to help its establishment. During the two-week course, God touched my heart about the need for churches in the inner cities of America. This was the beginning of our calling to New York. In April of 2010, we moved to New York City to work with the Open Door Bible Baptist Church. We rented an apartment in Astoria worked a part-time job in Manhattan, and interned with the church. Over the next year, we acclimated to life and ministry in the inner city, confirmed God's call, and sought the Lord's leadership for a neighborhood to start a church. With a population of over 8 million people, New York City is the most populous city in the United States. The entire New York City metroplex is home to 22 million souls, there are more people in New York City than in Los Angeles, Chicago, and Houston combined. New York City is home to the Statue of Liberty, Times Square, and Ground Zero. These and other sites bring over 40 million visitors per year. 291 neighborhoods are divided between five boroughs, Manhattan, the Bronx, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. New York City is one of the most diverse cities in the world. 36% of the population is foreign-born. Over 250 languages are spoken. 49% of the city's residents speak a second language at home. 
There are more Jews than in Jerusalem, and the largest Chinese population outside of South Asia. Muslims make up 800,000 of the city's population, represented by 176 mosques and counting. One such mosque is represented in this window flyer, converting an old Baptist church into an Islamic community center. During our internship in Astoria, through the leadership of the Lord and our pastor, we were led to the neighborhood of Greenpoint, Brooklyn. CBS News has reported that because of a thriving real estate market and exploding population, Greenpoint has become and will remain one of Brooklyn's most premier neighborhoods, and yet there has never been an independent Baptist church here. God has called us to start a Baptist church in Greenpoint. We believe that the local neighborhoods of the inner city need local churches in the same way that other cities in America do. A church that will preach the Word of God. A church that will be a watchman. Watchman, watchman, what of the night? Judgment is coming, where is your light? Trumpet the warning to every man, lest he God told Ezekiel that if the people be not warned, then he would require their blood at the watchman's hand. There are scores of neighborhoods in New York City that are home to tens of thousands of people and not one gospel preaching church in them. You can help send a preacher to cry into the city before the sword comes. For too long we have let New York City perish in its own iniquity. Please help the Newberger family by prayer and financial support as they go to this great city to warn the people of judgment to come. Thank you. Let me say it's an honor to be here tonight. I want to thank Pastor for uh, and the church for the, just the incredible accommodations you've shown, just a very first-class operation uh, in terms of hospitality, taking care of me. I really appreciate it very much. Thankful to Brother Jeff and his uh, fellowship that we've had the last uh, 24 hours, and his testimony, his family's testimony, has been a real blessing to my heart and my life. Well, for two years, we, um, we traveled the country, and we shared that video in over 100 different churches. And churches responded, and in that time, we were able to raise about 85% of our support to go, come to New York City uh, and to begin to start a church. And so we planted the church in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, 20 minutes from our sending church in Astoria, 20 minutes away, but in completely different worlds uh, of the city. And God blessed us over the last two years. We've been able to see people saved. We've seen a small um, a group of people kind of starting to come together. It's been uh, challenging, difficult, a bit of a grind in terms of ministry, but God's been working in great ways. Now, there was an error there in the video. It said that in Greenpoint there has never been an independent Baptist church. And at the time I made the video, uh, based on my research, I believe that that was true, came to find out that the things were different. I went to every church building in the neighborhood once we moved there, 
into the neighborhood and just wanted to find out what was going on with the congregation, you know, what, what was the status of things, and came across a building on Noble Street in the center of Greenpoint that I had believed was owned by a denomination. But I uh, went by there for days and days. They didn't have a phone number. There was no way to contact them. They were kind of like in hiding and this, in this big, beautiful building uh, that was obviously in bad shape. And finally, one day, just going by, trying to catch someone there, I found someone and began a relationship with the people that were still there and came to find out that this was indeed an independent Baptist church that had just really lost its way and had willed down to almost nothing um, that had had many ups and downs over the years. And so uh, almost three years ago, we started talking with them about the possibility of us stepping in and bringing new life into the church and uh, resurrecting the history of the church and, and bringing it forward for the next generation. And there was a lot of indecision, a lot of uh, well, you know, we've waited around 40 more years. What's another 40 years? And so um, a lot of frustration, a lot of times of me driving by the building. Uh, two, it's two blocks from where we currently meet and just saying, God, I'm praying. I don't even know what I'm praying for. Maybe we shouldn't have this. Maybe this thing would kill us, you know. You can do something greater of, you know, just not knowing what to do. And uh, just really at peace with, Lord, if you never want us to have a building as a church, then we'll just never have one if that's, if that's what you want for us. And um, then at the end of October, the city of New York stepped in and closed the building down. And we got a phone call that day, and they said, we need your help. We already wanted you to do this. We've just been kind of putting it off, but now we have no choice. The city's going to take the building unless something is done to stop it. And so... That's where I have another video. It's five minutes long. I'd like to show you where this kind of picks up, the story picks up, and now the Lord has brought some direction to our ministry and where he's going to have us going forward. I just want to tell you, in case you don't already know, that what you're going to see in this video, it's not a flashy presentation, but this is a miracle of God. It's not like these opportunities are just all over the city waiting for someone to grab. This never happens. This is a once-in-a-lifetime chance uh, to reclaim some independent Baptist history. And how many people are Baptist tonight in here? Amen. I'm sorry, I thought I was in the South. I thought you said amen here. How many people are Baptists in here? Amen. amen. We want to reclaim this history of this church. And so uh, that's what this next video is all about. Greetings from the auditorium of the historic Union Baptist Church located in the neighborhood of Greenpoint in the borough of Brooklyn in New York City. As you can see in the pictures, there's a tremendous amount of degeneration in the building. This is what brought about the crisis of the Department of Buildings of New York City coming in and literally putting a vacate order on the building and closing the building. That crisis precipitated the former trustee of the church to come to Brother Michael Newberger and myself 
and ask us to step in and try to do something to save the Union Baptist Church. One of the miracles that the Lord has worked is he's brought us into a working relationship with a New York State licensed engineer. He's evaluated the structure of the building and his words are, if you fix this right, there's no reason why this building shouldn't last you another hundred years. As for the history of the Union Baptist Church, I'm going to let Brother Michael Newberger fill you in on that. Union Baptist Church was founded as the First Baptist Church of Greenpoint in 1847. In 1863, during the U.S. Civil War, the current building was completed and housed a membership of over 500. After a church split that lasted for 30 years, the two congregations reunited in the current building as the Union Baptist Church of Brooklyn. Beginning in the First World War and with rapid shifts in ethnic makeup in the neighborhood, the church began to decline over the following decades. For many decades, the church was pastored by U.S. Army chaplains stationed in Brooklyn. Union Baptist Church is an independent Baptist church and has been since its founding. Our goal is to eventually take the people and Brother Newberger from the North Brooklyn Baptist Church and allow them to fully assume the identity and the history of the Union Baptist Church. We need to raise about $250,000. This would cover the roof, the walls where the mortar has deteriorated, uh, and much of the needed repairs to make the building safe to enter and to go in and out. That would be breaking it down, 250 churches giving $1,000 each. Open Door Bible Baptist Church has borrowed $50,000 to get started on this project. Let me put $250,000 in perspective for you. To rent a two-bedroom apartment on this block would cost you $3,700 a month. The median price of a condominium here in this neighborhood is $950,000. For $250,000, we can save this building and begin the renovations that are necessary to hold services in it again. Many of you came to our aid nearly 20 years ago in 1996 when we began negotiations on the building we called the Miracle on 35th Street. Uh, the story is well known that God took a little congregation of about 40 people and put us in a $763,000 building paid in full in less than seven years. The potential miracle here at the Union Baptist Church is actually far greater than that that we had in Astoria. But we can't get there until we get through this initial crisis stage. And that's why we're appealing to you to help us. He's able, he's able, I know he's able, I know my Lord is able to carry me through. He's able, he's able, I know he's able, 
Amen. So last week we went to a conference of uh, independent Baptist churches in Oklahoma City, and we presented that video at the Wednesday night service uh, held in a church, and there was many pastors there representing their churches, and we presented that need and uh, took donations basically from the floor, and people stood up, said, I'll give 100, I'll give 500, I'll give 1,000. We went around the room for about 20 minutes, and God provided $107,000. So praise the Lord. That's where you say amen. Amen. There you go. God is, if you're wondering if God's doing anything, he's doing it. It's, it's a miracle. Uh, it's incredible. It's scaring the daylights out of me, Pastor. I mean, Lord, what have you put in our hands? This thing is old. You walk in there, it's like a it's like a time capsule. I mean, the, the auditorium hasn't been used in 40 years, and uh, it's just as it was. It's incredible what God has, is doing there in New York City and what he's doing in Greenpoint. So um, I ask for your prayers about the future there, and God is bringing the future uh, a little more clear as to where we're going with this. And uh, our plan is also to put an apartment in the building. And so right now, as far as today, though, 107000 that doesn't go in my pocket. You know, that goes towards the building. And so we're still renting an apartment uh, in the neighborhood. We're still renting a meeting space for our church plan, and we'll continue to do so until the building is ready. So there's still uh, many challenges ahead. And, of course, a church is in the building, right? If, the, if, it built down, if it burned down tomorrow, we'd go meet at the restaurant somewhere or something. You know, the church is the people. And, but God can use a building. How many people say God used a church building in my life? I got saved at a church building altar, amen? And um, so th- I believe this is what God is going to use uh, in the area. And uh, if you're ever in New York City, I want you to come by and see it. It's just incredible. Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, and as you're turning there, I'd like to say uh, I'm sorry that my, uh, my wife couldn't be with us, uh, with us tonight and my children. Uh, God has blessed us with three beautiful children, uh, fourth one coming in August. Praise the Lord. We just thought we'd complicate the situation even more. And uh, thank you. I appreciate that. And, uh, but uh, as you saw, my pastor's family there, he's got 12, so I don't really get any excuses on the big family thing. Uh, doesn't give me a break there at all. But my wife is incredible. Uh, she... Uh, she invited me to church as a teenager, just gave out a busted old photocopied flyer, nothing fancy, uh, in class and invited me to church. And of course, with a name like Newberger, you don't really get many invitations anywhere from pretty girls. So I went to church with her and heard the gospel for the first time, and I was saved, amen. And, uh, and I'm so glad, thankful for my wife. I could not be there without her, and she has learned to adapt and to thrive uh, in our little apartment and without a Walmart, can you believe that? There's no, it's like a foreign country, folks. There's no Walmart there. All right, Mr. Soundman, I don't see a timer on there, but I'm guessing 8 o'clock is when we're supposed to be done, right? Okay, all right. Well, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and I'd like to read to you the first two verses of 2 Timothy chapter 1 and ask you to stay there as we look at a few other verses in the chapter tonight. 2 Timothy 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, if you're going to ask and pray that someone will give you grace, mercy, and peace, then I'm just going to go ahead and guess that there's something going on in their life where they could really use right now some grace and some mercy and some peace. I think that's what we're going to find is what's going on here in this young man's life. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, once again, we come to you now, God, and we ask for your blessings now upon the preaching of your word. 
And Lord, we see it fulfilled before our very eyes tonight that you use the foolish things of this world to confound the things which are wise. Lord, that you use the least among us, you use earthen vessels uh, to do great things. And Lord, I just pray now tonight that we would get just another taste of that now in the preaching time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm sure we could all agree and put our hands up if we were asked to that we've all been in overwhelming situations in our lives. Uh, times when we feel like we can barely tread water. I grew up on the Chesapeake Bay in Maryland, and we would occasionally have people come in from out of town, and if you're from there, then you pretty much just naturally know how to swim. It comes second nature, but if someone is not from there, and they get out into the water as you get deeper and deeper and deeper, uh, if you know how to swim, you just tread water, but if you don't, you just stand on your tippy toes and try to keep your chin up as much as you possibly can. I think life can feel that way sometimes, can't it, where you're trying to just just keep it above water and uh, just try to make it. I think the young man in this story finds himself in one of those times. The young man's name is Timothy, and Timothy is a preacher. And I say that it's an overwhelming situation because really because of where he is and the circumstances that brought him there. You see, Timothy is pastoring in the city of Ephesus, and one commentator said that Ephesus was the New York City of its day. That sounds good. I think I can identify. That sounds good. There might be something here to pay attention to. The New York City of its day. They called it the Rome of West Asia. It was a large, populous city, and it was a trade city. So there was always people coming and going. And if you lived in your little town where everybody looked the same, talked the same, acted the same, and you got a chance to go to Ephesus, you were really in for a treat because it was going to be an amazing cultural experience. You were going to walk through those two large gates that made up the city entrance, and you were going to see people maybe of a different skin color than you were used to seeing. And you were going to hear people talking in languages around you that you didn't quite understand. And, and there was going to be a hustle and a bustle that you weren't exactly used to. And that's where the Apostle Paul decided to plant a church. And you know the way the Apostle Paul did that, right? He'd go into the area. Sometimes God would lead him to some other believers. Sometimes he would just start preaching in the marketplace. And he would preach the gospel. And he would go to where people were. And he would stand up in the marketplaces. And he'd lift up his voice like a herald. He'd go into the synagogues. And he'd reason with the Jews. And he went into this great metropolitan city. And he preached the gospel. Guess what happened? People got saved. Yeah, that's how it works. You preach the gospel and people get saved. Praise the Lord. That's how he did it in his day. We're still doing it today. And he preached the gospel and people were saved. And then those people that were saved, they didn't just say, okay, well, thanks, see you later. No, they wanted to know more. I mean, they just given their, their hearts, their lives, their eternal souls to Jesus Christ. They wanted to be trained, to be discipled. They wanted to hear the preaching of the word of God. So they would come back together. They would assemble together for preaching and for teaching and for singing and for fellowship. And then they started doing that repeatedly. And the apostle Paul didn't say, all right, I'm an evangelist. I've got to move on. No, he stayed and he helped those people and he trained them and he taught them and they multiplied, multiplied in believers. And guess what happened? A local church was started in the city of Ephesus. I'm just telling you tonight that the way Paul did it is the way we're still doing it today. That all ministry, I mean, I'm all for global ministry and missions is certainly a global effort and you're, you're doing a whole month emphasizing that, but truly all ministry is local because your international preachers go to local places to preach, amen? And they preach to local people that are saved, amen? Or that get saved. And so all ministry in the end is truly Local And Paul planted a local church in the city of Ephesus. Well, keeping in mind what an incredible place Ephesus was, what an influential place, a city of trade, a seat of government, a seat of an entire religion there in Ephesus, you have to imagine that if you're going to appoint someone to be pastor of this place, you're probably going to need to 
pick someone that really fits the bill. So why don't we do that tonight? Can we do that? Uh, let's, um, let's be the pulpit committee. Don't worry, Pastor, we're not going to vote you out or anything tonight, but let's be the pulpit committee for just a minute for the First Baptist Church of Ephesus. So as you think of a large metropolitan city, as you think of a place of um, affluence, of, of um, financial power, of religious power, of political power, what do you think would make up the qualifications besides the obvious spiritual ones for a really sharp preacher, pastor for the First Baptist Church of Ephesus? Well, three things come to mind immediately for me. Number one, experience. It would definitely help if you put somebody there in the pulpit with a lot of experience. Someone had been around the block. I think out west they say, where it ain't your first rodeo. Where you have a little bit of, uh, uh, you have years behind you, you have ministry experience behind you, because you're going to be dealing with diverse people from all over the world, different languages, and, and all types of uh, situations, and you're going to need to know how to handle all those things. And some of that knowledge only comes by doing the work, by having experience, by having a few gray hairs on your head. And so age and experience. I think number two, you're going to need boldness. Okay, you're going to be following the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Now, he was bold, wasn't he? He went up into the marketplace, and he stood up on a soapbox, and he preached. Now, I've tried that a few times, not in New York City, but I've tried that a few times. And let me tell you, that is terrifying. That's terrifying in 2016. I imagine it was just as terrifying then as well to stand up and boldly proclaim the word of God, to boldly proclaim to a place where they all had the uh, similar religion, where the seed of religion was. That's where they worshiped the, the false goddess Diana. And if you remember in the book of Acts, they weren't very nice, were they, if you criticized their religion? In fact, they uh, got together, uh, you know, a bit of a riot and they would kill you. <laughs> and so he's out there and he's preaching with incredible boldness. So whoever's going to follow the Apostle Paul in this ministry is going to have to be bold. And then thirdly tonight, I believe what a preacher is going to need if he's going to make it in the First Baptist Church of Ephesus is toughness. Because to make it in a big city, you just got to be tough. I'll tell you, some of you guys, your pickup trucks, you think you're tough? We'll get you on the subway at 8.30 in the morning. We'll find out who's tough. Your personal bubble will turn into shrink wrap before you know it. It's incredible. To make it in a big city, you gotta be, you got to be able to let a lot brush off you. You have to be prepared to take a lot of insult, a lot of injury, and for it to not bug you. To deal with a lot of annoying people all of the time, and it never quits. That takes toughness. You're going to have to be tough, thick-skinned. So experience, boldness, and toughness. Well, who gets picked to be pastor of the First Baptist Church of Ephesus? Timothy. Say, Pastor Mike, is Timothy known for age, experience, boldness, and toughness? Well, Timothy was about 30 years old, and I'm here to tell you tonight that 30 years old is young. Can I get an amen from somebody tonight? I'm 31. Um, so now I'm old. Um, he's about 30 years old. So he doesn't have Asian experience. Now, experience, traveling with the Apostle Paul, that's pretty good experience. But in terms of number of raw years, he didn't grow up in a Christian home or anything like that. Um, a bit of a broken home, if you will. Um, it's in terms of raw years, he didn't really have that on his resume. Well, what about boldness? Well, when Paul finishes writing to the Corinthians, he tells them that when you see Timothy, tell him to not be afraid. So Paul publicly embarrassed Timothy in the Bible by giving every, telling everybody that Timothy's reputation was one of being a fearful man. 
Well, what about toughness? Is he tough? Is he going to make it? Are we sending this guy and he's not going to make it? Well, it says right here in our text, in verse number four, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears. So he also had a reputation for being someone that would, where the, 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 the overwhelming situations of life would bring him to a place of tearfulness. He was a weepy, weepy guy, and there's nothing worse than seeing a grown man cry. He was that guy. That was Timothy. And so now the youthful, fearful, tearful Timothy is pastoring the First Baptist Church in what they called at that time the Great and Mighty Ephesus. Now that's an overwhelming situation. That's a situation where you got to feel like you're just trying to keep your head up. I can see Timothy in his office. I don't know if he had an office. And I can see them uh, the, here, the, you know, he's got the window there and and uh, instead of traffic, you had uh, when the, the people that worshipped the false goddess Diana. It was a very public religion. They did a lot of parades. Uh, we have that in, even in New York City. Uh, the Catholics do it. A lot of parades for just about every patron state that there is. And uh, I can just imagine them worshipping the false goddess Diana. And it was a very vile religion. It was a very sexually charged religion. It was very decadent. And I can just see them uh, going through the streets. Great is the goddess Diana. And just uh, chanting that over and over. And sitting there in his teeny little office getting ready for his sermon. And just feeling about that small. And Paul writes to Timothy now, to a man who needs a lot of encouragement. And if you know anything about the books of 1 and 2 Timothy, you know that these are encouraging books. That if you need some marching orders, if you need some encouragement, if you need to just get recalibrated in your Christian life, 1 and 2 Timothy is a fantastic place to go to. It'll charge you up. It'll remind you why you're doing what you're doing. It'll make the purpose in your life so much more clear. And so Paul writes to Timothy, and this is what he says in verse number 8. Look at me in verse number 8. Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of, my, of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker in the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Timothy, don't run. You're going to have to bear some affliction. And now speaking about God, he says this in verse 9. Who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling. So he talks to Timothy about his calling. To me, that makes sense. Because when you're in a difficult situation in life, the first thing you do is question your calling. For example, you buy a house. You put time. You give them your life savings for a down payment. You walk through it, everything like that. You sign your entire life away for the next 30 years, and then you spend the first night in it. And what do you get? Neighbor's dog is barking, their music is blasting, the pipes are rattling, and you can't get any sleep, and you're thinking, what did we do? You work so hard to get a new job. Yeah, and you polish up that resume. You get it, you get it just right. You, you interview. You, you impress. You say all the right things. You, you pour your heart out and, and do everything you can to get this job. And you, you sign a contract. You're going you're gonna to be an employee there now. You go through everything. And then you have your first day. And you break the fax machine. You spill the boss's coffee. The customers yell at you. And, and it's an absolutely horrible first day. You go home at the end of the day and think, what have I gotten myself into? You know, that's, it's a natural human instinct. It's self-preservation. You want to run when things get tough. You want to run. 
You, 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 want to, you want to run. And so it makes sense that Paul would write to Timothy and kind of address that issue. Timothy, I know you and me have been traveling, and although they've had difficulties and persecutions, it's, it's a lot different when you're there with Paul, but now you're there by yourself and you don't have your mentor with you and you're all alone in this crazy, great and mighty Ephesus and you're all by yourself and there's this vile religion and corrupt government and you don't know how you're going to proceed. It would only make sense, and Paul was very, uh, had a lot of insight to know that Timothy would be thinking about is this where I'm supposed to be? Is this, is, this, is this for me? Do my talents and abilities fit into this situation? You know, I heard the prosperity preacher, and he told me to follow my dreams. And my dreams don't have me being shouted down by the people that worship Diana. And he says, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling. He questions his calling. Now, calling is something we're interested in today. If you go to the Christian bookstore, or somebody ap- aptly said the Christian crook store, um, you'll go in there and you'll see a lot of books about your calling, discovering your calling, your purpose in life. And while there's many good books out there on the subject, there's some that are not so good, and some that follow the secular thinking that your dreams and your desires and your passions, God wants you to fulfill those in his name. God wants you to find out what you want to do and then do it and give him some glory for it. Now, that's a popular message, and it sounds pretty good, actually, because, you know, you kind of get to pick and choose what you want to do. And you can kind of tailor fit it to, to, to your life. But Paul takes that secular thinking, and he turns it completely on its head in this verse. Look how he does it in verse number nine. Who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Did you see that? I underlined that in my Bible. Not according to our works. He tells Timothy, Timothy, you, God has given you purpose in your life. He has given you direction. He's put you here, or I have put you here. I don't know if Timothy had any say about it, if it was something he passionately wanted to do, or if Paul said, guess what? You're going to be the pastor, and it just totally caught him by surprise, but now he finds himself without his mentor, and he says, God has given you some direction in your life, and at least for right now, you know exactly where you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be here in Ephesus, and yes, Um, we have chosen you to be here, but I want you to understand, Timothy, we haven't chosen you because of your resume, because your resume really doesn't check out for somebody that would fit the bill uh, for a great preacher in the city of Ephesus. We have put you here because we believe that there's something greater than your abilities at work in your life, that God is working in your life, and God can use you in this place despite the fact that you may not have all the talents and abilities that you think that you need. Timothy, you have some purpose in your life, and I want to remind you that if you have purpose from God, then you also have what we sing about, that amazing grace from God to fulfill that purpose. That's what grace is. It's the enabling of God. It's what lets you do the purpose. You see, when we tell people, oh, it's your talents and abilities, find your purpose through that. Well, that's kind of, that's making the formula backwards. See, if God's going to give you purpose, then usually what you find when you find God's purpose is that you're not really cut out for the job. I found this out when we had our first child. Now, we had our first child in Oklahoma, and in one of these nice birthing centers, I mean, it was like, well, my part, any of it, was pretty easy. Uh, You know, it was a little harder for my wife, but I mean, it was a comfortable situation. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, there's like a nice lounge, chairs everywhere. There's nurses. They're waiting on you hand and foot. I mean, it's just like, uh, it's great. I mean, better than a hotel. And, and I, everything with the baby, you know, if you, if you wanted to take a nap, they just took the baby on out to the nursery, and you just took your nap, and it was great. 
And then they help you with the car, get the little baby in the car seat and first time in the car and inciting. And they even have somebody come and help you carry the thing out and carry all your belongings, put you in the car. And then you shut the slider door on the minivan and you realize, oh no, we are on our own. And we don't know what we're doing. God, we can't do this. We can't, t- we can't take care of this kid. And then the next 24 hours further confirm that because the child does not sleep. And screams and screams. Man, when you find God's purpose, you often find that you're not. I think that's what Timothy went through. He had to have been sitting there thinking, why did I get left here? We had all these great preachers in our, in our, in our group. Why me? I don't belong here. I, I can sympathize with Timothy a little bit here, if I could make it a little bit personal, that when I'm there in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, New York City, can I tell you something about Greenpoint? It is the cool place to be. It is where the hipsters, the yuppies, your teenagers, all their fashion trends, they come out of San Francisco and our neighborhood. Um, it, it, we're the, kind of like the San Francisco on the East Coast. It is um, an incredible thing there, the amount of cultural influence that comes out of that neighborhood. We have five primetime television shows filmed in our neighborhood. Three of those, the shows are set in that neighborhood because it's just the cool place to be. Now, you don't know me real well, but I'm sure you can guess that I'm not a very cool guy. I listen to bluegrass. They, now, you like that. I'm cool here, right? That don't work there. I say y'all sometime. I've been trying not to say that. People look at me like, where are you from? And uh, I lived in Oklahoma for a while. It wore, wore, wore on me a little bit. I mean, I don't, I'm just not cool. I play disc golf. Does anyone in here play disc golf? Come on, raise your hand. Be proud. Okay, it's not frisbee golf. It's disc golf. That is, like, very uncool. I mean, I'm not cool. And I have all these, these, these hipsters around me, and I think, I'm not a hipster, and I can't wear skinny jeans, and, uh, you know, I can't wear my grandpa's clothes, and I don't, how am I going to, and, and what am I going to do, Lord? And I look at the other ministers in my area, and they are, they are not called there, they are assigned there by the denominations, and they're reverend, doctor, this and that, and they are chaplains, and they are people of extreme influence, one uh, preacher the next block over, she was just named uh, by the New York Times Woman of the Year, uh, lesbian pastor with a, um, a, as a FDNY chaplain. And I look at that and say, I can't compete with that. I can't, Lord, I don't, I'm Mike Newberger, my diploma ain't worth anything. What am I going to do? And I'm, I go back to this verse all the time. I don't think anyone in any area of life that is thinking, God, how am I going to do this? God, you made a mistake. I am not the person to do this. What do I do from here? Well, if you know what the purpose is, then you have to seek for that amazing grace to fulfill it. Because if you will do that, then God can get the glory. When we came to New York City, we went to our sending church, and we got up on a Sunday school. The pastor asked us to give a testimony, and I was up there grinning and smiling. I had, you know, totally green and hadn't spent any time in the city at all other than as a tourist, and I got up and I told the church, church, we want God to do things in our life so that when it's all said and done, only God gets the glory. And I had no idea what I was asking for. Because if you're going to say, God, do things in my life so only God gets the glory, that means he's got to get you out of the way. That means he's got to do things to where when people see it happen, they think, him, her, is doing that? I mean, that's, I mean, this building thing, that's how people are looking at, like, Mike Newberger, what? Huh? Him? No? 
Uh, you saw my pastor there in the video, and part of that is because I don't know what I'm doing with the building. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't run this, he's, he's the builder. He knows what he's doing. I, I mean, we would have already lost it by now, truthfully. We would have already lost the building by now with the city if it hadn't been for my pastor. And a great example of this is the Apostle Paul. He says it actually right here in this text. He says, uh, verse 11, whereunto, in reference to the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. He's talking about in that verse, he's kind of telling Timothy, if you want an example of this truth, just look at me. Because the apostle Paul was not exactly fit to be a missionary. In fact, if he had went on deputation, I doubt if he would have got any support. I mean, imagine me coming up here, God saved me, I killed somebody, but I've repented now and I'm going to be a missionary. He killed a bunch of people. He never would have got any support. I mean, look at his life. And and the apostles, they were nervous. Remember when Paul was saved? They were nervous about this Saul guy coming in there and say, this is the guy that was persecuting the church and now you're telling me that God's going to use him? They were nervous. God had to do some things in their lives to confirm that, yes, this man is who I am going to use and he's going to suffer things for my name and he is going to be a preacher and there is a ministry for for him uh, in the service to the Lord. I have a plan for his life. God had to confirm it. And Ananias, I love when he puts his hand on him and he says, Brother Saul. I love, I love that story. But t- he's telling Timothy, I am a perfect example of this. And all the reasons people said I shouldn't be a preacher, the fact that I was a Pharisee, I was, I, I was uh, the education I had, all these different things, God ended up making those things what enabled me. God used those things in my life. Not in a way I ever would have thought, but God used those things to give me the ministry that I have today. That all the reasons that people said Paul couldn't were the exact reasons that he could because those were the things of which God could get the glory in his life. So it all boils down to this. Purpose and grace. That when you're looking for God's purpose for your life, you don't need to look in. What do I want to do? What do I want? You need to look up. You need to look to the Lord. You need to follow him. You know what I find when people say, Pastor, what's God's will for my life? Or they're searching for God's will. Pray for me, I'm searching for God's will. I have often found in my own experience that rarely do I search and find God's will. Usually God's will finds me. That as we're being faithful to the things that we're supposed to be faithful to, faithful to our families, faithful to our church, faithful to our work, faithful to do what God has put right there in front of us. It's when we have those things right that the will of God has a way of finding us. And God has a way of of using some circumstance in our life to bring us about. When I felt the call to New York City, I said, God, I I, want to go, but there's no way. I can't get there. And and it was kind of a missions trip sort of call, you know. I was burdened, but it was scary. I said, God, I, I can't, I can't, break the door down in there. I don't have a degree that would let me have some sort of career to where, where I could financially support myself. God, I, I, I don't know what to do. And just left it with the Lord. And you know what? I decided I know what I have to do. I was about to get married. I said, I'm going to be faithful to my wife. I'm going to finish, finish my schooling. That was, I, that's what I was there to do. I'm going to be faithful to my school. I'm going to be faithful to my family. I'm going to, be, I'm going to work hard in my job. And it was in doing those things that I got a phone call and the opportunity came. You know, when you're searching for God's purpose in your life, remember that when you find it, there's going to be amazing grace to fulfill it. I like how he ends this, ver- this idea here, and it's in verse number 10. He says, but it is now made, this, but is now made manifest, the purpose, the calling for our life. It's now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 
I mean, that verse just sums it up, doesn't it? Life and immortality. So if you have questions about, let's work it backwards. If you have questions about immortality, the answer is Jesus Christ. Remember when you got saved, you said, you, you repented, right? You said, there is no way I can get to heaven except by Jesus Christ. That is, as sure as I am that I could never jump out of a plane without a parachute, I'm putting on Christ because there is no way I would survive eternity's judgment except by the blood of Jesus Christ. And with 100% dependence, you called upon his name. Now, you did that for your salvation, for your everlasting soul, but can I tell you that it's going to require that amount of dependence if you're going to fulfill the purpose God has for your life. And it's needed every single day. The same commitment that you had to salvation, you need to God's purpose for your life. The same reliance on his grace that brought salvation is the grace you need for daily living. You can't do it. Oh, you're qualified. You got a degree. Great. Praise the Lord. Use it for the Lord. That's great. But that that may not be how God gets glory in your life. He may have something totally different in mind. Be surrendered to his will. He wraps it up nicely there because he says life and immortality. So if your question is about immortality, the answer is Christ. And if your question is about life, the answer is still about Christ. Be committed to be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. Pastor Mike, I go to church. What are you talking about? Well, if going to church is your idea of being a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ and that's all it is, then you have completely missed it. You have completely missed it. It's got to be more than that. We, got, we have to demand more of that of ourselves. This is, this is the kind of the, the summit when we come to church. It's a, a daily walk with Jesus Christ, and then we get to all come together and kind of celebrate that walk and to get refreshed and renewed. But if this is all you have, then that, that isn't nearly enough. The best church can't provide it. He says, life and immortality to light through the gospel. To light means to make known, to reveal. It's made clear in him. It's made clear through Jesus Christ. As you know him more, you can understand his purpose better. You can understand his grace better. And then you'll truly be able to understand the song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch wretch like me. Guess what? I'm the wretch the song is talking about. You're the wretch the song is talking about. We need his grace. And I would ask you tonight as I close, New York City, it's going to take some grace. Now, God's given us some favor here with this building situation. I have a pastor who knows what he's doing. He's capable. The city, New York, city of New York City believes in him, that, that he knows what he's talking about, and that he is the right man to lead this. Um, God has given us favor in our church plant. We are seeing people saved. We, we believe God is doing something great in Greenpoint. But that doesn't mean that we don't need grace. We need a tremendous amount of grace from God. And I would ask you for your prayers. I would ask you to pray. And now New York City is easy because every time you turn on the television, you see it, right? You watched your football game, you probably saw images of it left and right and didn't even realize it. It's the culture capital of our country. And we believe it's from there that God can do something great for the cause of missions. I would love for American missionaries to go to China, but I would much rather prefer the six, over 600,000 Chinese in New York City for one of them to go to China. I would, I would love for an uh, American missionary to go to Indonesia where there's 30 million Muslims, but I would rather have an Indonesian from New York City get saved and go to Indonesia and reach those 30 million Muslims. We don't know what God's going to do in Greenpoint, but I just want to tell you today, if you were wondering, is God still doing any miracles? Oh, yes, he is. You say, what does a missionary do? What should we expect of a missionary? Exactly what you expect here. 
We're reaching people one at a time. We're reaching families. We're reaching homes. They're a different color. They talk differently, and most of them are broken. But God is reaching people in New York City. I would ask for your prayers. I would ask for your support. And I would ask you to seek the amazing grace of God. You've seen the testimony tonight of what that grace can do. And if you find yourself tonight, you say, Brother Mike, I'm glad you're having a miracle, but I don't feel like there's any miracles in my life. I know that feeling too. I know those days where it just seems like nothing is happening. I want to tell you, recommit yourself tonight. Say, God, nothing has to happen. I'm your servant. I don't deserve anything. God, I'm going to be faithful to you. And God, however you choose to use me, however you choose to get glory in my life, that's what I'm for. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this night, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. Thank you for the power.